what happens when we face difficult conversations? These conversations can heal. They can foster forgiveness. They can inspire and change perspective. Lean into these stories and discussions. I think both our guests and our listeners will find value in them. And selfishly, I know I will too. All right, welcome everyone to this episode of Lean In with Dr. Jabron Pasha. This is Jabron, and I'm here with Mark Wolin, who I am so happy to touch base with today. You know, I was mentioning to him, anytime I read someone's bio that is as long as his, I recognize how busy they are. And so I am really appreciative that he has agreed to spend a little time speaking with us today. So Mark Willen, he's the director of the Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco. He's a leading expert in the field of inherited family trauma. Uh, his book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End That Cycle, was the winner of the 2016 Silver Nautilus Book Award in Psychology. It's been translated into 22 languages. He does a lot. He, he's authored articles. He's a poet. He's been published in The New Yorker. Uh, and going back to It Didn't Start With You this year, quite recently, uh, it was on Cosmopolitan's list of recommended mental health books and Man's Health list of the 20 best mental health books of 2021. Mark, thank you so much. Welcome to Lean In. Hey, thank you, Gibran. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I am always intrigued by the new science that, that is really starting to pick up. But this idea, this concept of inherited family trauma is probably a new concept to most of my listeners. It was a new concept to me as of about two years ago. So can you spend a little time telling us exactly what it is? Absolutely. So let's say one of our parents or our grandparents had a significant trauma. They lost their mother or their, or their father when they were young, or, or even our mother or our father. They were sent away, raised by a grandmother, or placed in an orphanage, or maybe one of their siblings died tragically. An event like this can devastate the, the family, and the reaction to the event, the reaction to the trauma, doesn't necessarily stop with the people who experienced it. So the feelings and the sensations, specifically the stress response, the way our genes express, this can pass forward to our children and to our grandchildren, affecting them in a similar way, even though they didn't personally experience the trauma. And now there's, you know, there's tons of substantial biological evidence for this phenomenon. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and I think about how these sorts of things were traditionally thought of as being passed down. You would tend to think, well, if someone experiences a trauma, then they learn some behaviors and they, that behavior is learned. But what you're saying, it's beyond behaviors. We're actually talking about actual changes in the DNA. Absolutely. Molecular changes in the DNA. So when, when I, I, let me go back to the beginning here. When, it, when a trauma happens, it changes us, literally changes us. It causes a chemical change in our DNA, and this can change how our genes function, sometimes for generations. So technically, after this event, this catastrophic event, a chemical tag will attach to the DNA and tell the cells to use or ignore certain genes, enabling us to better deal with, with the trauma that just happened. 
And then the way our genes are affected, this will change how we act or how we feel. For example, we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma, even if that trauma occurred in a previous generation, so that we have a better chance of surviving it in this generation. I'll give you an example. Please. If our grandparents come from a war-torn country, so let's say people are being shot and they're, they're, they're seeing this, neighbors are being rounded up, uniformed men are lining people up in the square, taking people away, bombs are going off. They would develop, our grandparents, they develop a skill set, sort of an adaptation, an epigenetic adaptation, which could be, let's say, sharper reflexes or quicker reaction times or reactions to the violence to help them survive this trauma that they experience. Now, this is what's passed forward. And the problem is we can inherit a stress response with the dials set to 10. And here we are born in a safer situation, but we're biologically prepared for this catastrophe, the one that, you know, similar to what they experience, but it never arrives. And we're walking around, we're, you know, jumping when we hear the sound of a car backfire. And we rarely make the link that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression is connected to our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way. Wow. And so kind of despite those changes being protective in a major way, um, there's some downsides to them. What would be negative? What, what are some negative effects of, of some of these changes? Oh, yeah. No, it's, that's a really good question. So let's say we've inherited the biological residue of our parents or our grandparents. You know, again, specifically the stress response. Technically, it's their defense to the, the, their biological defense to the trauma. Now, yeah, I talked about the way the genes expressed, and but what we're really talking about here are biological molecular changes in the DNA. So this can create an overactive stress response, maybe even an overactive amygdala in our limbic system, which could translate into chronic tightening in our body. So we can unconsciously be tightening all the time, bracing all the time, and, and never, know why, never know why. I mean, ultimately, it's to keep us safe, right? We're bracing whenever we have some event or some relationship or some conversation that we feel threatening. Now, all of a sudden, in this unconscious tightening to feel safe, we are naturally avoiding the trauma sensations of terror, aloneness in our body, things we don't want to feel. And then after a while, this unconscious tightening begins to limit blood flow, Gibran, uh, circulation, oxygen in the very areas in our body that we're trying to protect. Even those areas can even become hypoxic and we can begin to develop with chronic pain or develop a disease process in those parts of the body. We, we can have chronic fatigue, autoimmune symptoms, migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, neuropathy. I mean, so many things really. Wow. You know, I think about some of the historical traumas that get a lot of recognition and, 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 and history talks about this a lot, right? We think about what happened in World War II and weren't some of the original studies in, you know, generational trauma, inherited family trauma kind of based back then with the families that were survivors for, from people who fought in World War II or were in the Holocaust? 
Oh, absolutely. There's so many studies from soldiers, combat veterans coming home. And the book I mentioned, studies from Rwanda, the Holocaust, Cambodia. I mean, there's so, so much. You know, when we go back to the science, uh, there's a neuroscientist out of Mount Sinai Medical School. Her name, Rachel Yehuda. And she, I think, stumbles on this. She's working with the children of Holocaust survivors. And she finds out that the children have the same trauma symptoms as their parents. Specifically, she's measuring low levels of cortisol, the stress hormone that gets us back together. And then she finds a similar pattern to babies that are born to mothers who were at the World Trade Center when it was attacked during 9-11. She found that these babies went on to, if the mothers went on to develop PTSD, the babies went on to develop PTSD. They were smaller for their gestational age. They were born with 16 genes that express differently than children who weren't in New York at that time. She tells us that you and I are three times more likely to have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, if one of our parents had PTSD. And as a result, we could have anxiety or depression. Uh, She even goes further a few years ago that the traumatized survivors and their children, and this is really cool, had the exact same gene changes in the exact same region of the exact same gene. She was looking at the FKBP5 gene, which is a gene involved in stress regulation and depressive disorders. So these patterns are, you know, easily seen in humans for at least two generations. Now the jury's out because, you know, it takes 20 20 years to get a generation in humans and the science is about 15 years old, right? So for that reason, we study mice. And the reason being is because mice and humans share a very similar genetic makeup. Over 90% of the genes in humans have counterparts in mice with 80% being identical. Plus you can get a whole generation in mice in 12 to 20 weeks where it takes, as I said, 12 to 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, being, I'm in Oklahoma, I'm in Tulsa to be exact. You know, there are some some traumas that, that I tend to think of being in Oklahoma. And one of those was the plight suffered by Native Americans. And I actually just read Killers of the Flower Moon, which happened years after the forced removal of Native Americans. But in the Killers of the Flower Moon, they talk about the Osage Indians and how dozens and dozens of Osage were killed for oil rights. And African-Americans in the Tulsa killings in the 1920s. Exactly. That was my second comment being from Tulsa is the, the trauma suffered from the Tulsa Race Massacre and and how, you know, we see Tulsa has a a storied history for that reason. We we have found that the life expectancy for people living in North Tulsa, which is where the Tulsa Race Massacre happened, have somewhere between a 10 to 14 year shorter lifespan than someone living in South Tulsa. And I can't help but wonder what kind of impact did inherited family trauma have on this? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, so first of all, we talked about an overactive limbic system, an overactive amygdala, which keeps us in a state of fight, flight, or freeze, which is not a great thing for our body to constantly be living hypervigilant or shut down. And then we've got anxieties of personal safety from in the inher- in the descendants, breaks in the bonds with mothers, because you know, parents were killed early. And then when a mother, when she loses her parents, her mother specifically, she can't give to her children 
similarly? I mean, there's so many impacts from this. So when you tell me that the people living in North Tulsa live 10 to 12, or I, I think you said 10 to 12 years less, 10 to 14 years less, that makes a lot of sense to me. You have a lot of reverberations of the trauma coursing through these bodies. Yeah, and there, you know, you you mentioned kind of living in this this state of hypervigilance with different hormones and catecholamines and different levels of hormones that are just not normal for a human to live in. I, I one place that that takes me is to think about just someone who grows up in poverty in an area where they have to worry about their safety. They have to worry about putting food on the table, right? Can some can kind of chronic stressors like that Absolutely. also have a similar impact? Absolutely. So it's funny, I'm known as the inherited family trauma guy, but more than half of my work is in attachment. Hmm. So, and, and there's a reason for this, because if our mom, let's say we, we live in an impoverished community and our mom is working all the time and she's worried about putting food on the table and maybe our dad is drinking or disconnected or gone or in prison or dead or they're fighting, they're breaking up, they're separating, they're both um, stressing. It's that very stress that I'm talking about that changes the genome. You know, we have, oh my God, I just posted a study the other day talking about kids in the pandemic are born with significantly reduced verbal, motor, overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. And, and actually, the, the study goes on. I read the study, I didn't just post it, where the male children and the children in lower socioeconomic families were the most affected, the males and those lower in the socioeconomic. And that's just from a pandemic. We've had many types of pandemic traumas. This one is global, right? But poverty is another level of, for our family. It's a serious event. Yeah, I, I saw that study that you posted. I had a chance oh, to, to kind of look through it. And, you know, if these babies are showing deficits pretty soon after birth, well, this is saying this is not something that has happened to them after birth, right? This kind of gets at the the fact that this may be secondary to something that their mother had experienced during this pandemic. You know, it can be in utero. You know, we we know one of the quotes I say in my book is I'm quoting Bruce Lipton here, I think where he says that attunement, mother's attunement, has to begin at conception, not after the child's born. Because as we know, Gibran, we know that the neural groove and the neural tube, that which will become our nervous system, exists after 20 days in utero. And the heart exists after 20 days in utero. So all of a sudden, these trauma, these in utero traumas, they're, they're having an impact on our physiology, on our biology, on our neurology. And we don't have a cognitive memory of them. We have a somatic memory of these things. So um, yeah, it could be just like you were saying, uh, let me answer what you said. Can it be our mother's traumas passed down? Absolutely. Our fathers, yes. Our grandmothers, our grandfathers. Another way I like to explain it is that traumas imprint the egg cells and the sperm cells. So our grandmother's trauma and our grandfather's trauma leave epigenetic marks on the sperm cells. And I'm gonna say it a different way. Memories of these traumas get imprinted in our parents' and grandparents' sperm cells and egg cells. Now, somehow this information passes forward to us and then 
here we are as a result born with altered brains that are preparing us to biologically cope with traumas that are similar to the ones they experienced. Wow. This area of epigenetics is just, it's really fascinating to me. And I, you know, I'll admit I've done a fair share of LinkedIn stalking of your page over the last few weeks, partly preparing for this interview, but also because you just post a lot of fascinating stuff. And another study that you posted had to do with parenting. And my wife and I actually just had a baby about 12 weeks ago. And so that study really jumped out to me. And the study talked about the impact of parenting and and, and how that can affect that child. And then I can't help but wonder, can that impact then be passed down? And I'm guessing the answer is yes to that child's children. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a recent study in JAMA Psychiatry Journal of American Medicine that followed mothers who suffered trauma as children. And it found that their daughters were more likely to struggle with depression and bipolar disorder. And then there's a recent Tufts University study that found that men who suffered traumas of children were able to pass their anxiety uh, onto their children through their sperm. Now, this was why this particular study is significant, because it's the first study to show that human sperm mirrored the same changes, specifically the same non-coding RNA changes found in the mice that they were able to traumatize in labs. So yes, parenting is keenly important. Wow. So Mark, how did you get into this work? That's a really good question. So I I suffered. (laughs) It was quite accidental. Like many of us, I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. About 30 years ago, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes. And I was diagnosed with a chronic form of retinopathy, one, one that had no cure. And, you know, the doctors just would tell me, geez, we don't know why this is happening. We think it's stress, which is never really helpful to hear that because you're going through your life going stress, stress, stress. Then they told me because of the way it's progressing and I have a drusen in the other eye as well, that I'm basically likely to lose the vision in both of my eyes. And I was freaking out and I was desperate to find help. So I went on this search for healing, literally, Gibran. I went around the world. I just, I would read a book and and find out where this teacher was, or I would hear of some, you know, institute teaching a form of mindfulness or whatever it was. I, I, I went as far as Indonesia, where I learned from several wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles, uh, one of which was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents, which was pretty broken. But before I could heal that relationship, I had to heal what stood in the way. Now, I don't know it at the time, but it's inherited family trauma specifically from the, okay, all of my grandparents are orphaned in some way. Three of them lose their mothers when they're babies. Two are babies, one's a toddler. And the other one loses her father when she's a year and a half. So ultimately, she loses her mother's attunement also because the mother's grieving. So this anxiety that the grand that my grandparents had, that my parents had, this was the real cause of my vision loss. So just like my parents, I had inherited this feeling of being broken from a mother's love. And so this is what's passed down to all of us kids, really. I remember being a small boy, maybe five or six years old. My mom would leave the house just to go to work or something. And I'd run into a room and I'd pull open her drawers and I'd cry into her scarves and nightgowns just to breathe in her smell, 
thinking that that's all I'm going to have left. I don't know it at the time, but that is what my grandparents would have had left. Maybe the scent on a garment, on a sweater, you know, because their mothers had died. So 40 years later, I shared this with my mom and she told me that she did the exact same thing when her mother would left the house. She cried into her clothes and breathed in the smell. And my sister reading the book said, honey, I did that too. I used to smell mother's clothes. So after healing, here's the cool part of the story. After healing the break in the bond with my mom, which is so important, my vision came, my sight came back. And afterwards, I felt compelled to share these principles I learned. And then ultimately, I developed a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. So that's a great transition because I was just thinking about how I hate to just drop this bomb on people and say, hey, you know, although it's not your fault, you are impacted by the traumas that your ancestors suffered and then leave it at that. Right. <laughs> I, I, I would hate to do that. So really, the next the next important part of this is, is well, what can what can be done, Mark? Yeah, no, that's that's the important question. All right. I'm going to start with the research again. You're a physician. I'm going to go. I'm going to get heavy on the research. I like I like the science. Give it to me. All right. All right. So there's really good news coming out right now. Researchers are able to reverse trauma symptoms in mice, and the implications are extraordinary. So when they they traumatize a mouse in a lab, which I'm not excited about, but that's what they do to study it, and then they take the same mice that were traumatized and they expose them to repeated positive experiences, and I'm going to get more into that, and it changes the way the DNA expresses. Technically, it inhibits the enzymes that cause DNA methylation and histone modifications, which are two of the mechanisms for transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. Now, so, okay, so they can change the DNA. Well, that's kind of interesting. And so what does that mean, positive experiences? So it's how we heal, you and I, how we humans heal from inherited trauma. We've got to calm the brain's stress response, whether we've inherited that stress response or the trauma happened to us in utero or in early life. You know, like we talked about the babies who were born to the mothers at the World Trade Center or kids born to parents in Oklahoma who were tortured or or died or were killed. So to heal, We've got to have positive experiences that can change our brain. And then we need to practice the new feelings and the new sensations associated with these positive experiences. And I'll get into how we do that. Let me just say first, uh, when, when we do this, we not only create new neural pathways, we also stimulate the release of feel good neuro, neuro, neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, GABA. We also stimulate the release of feel-good hormones like estrogen, oxytocin, and even, as I said before, the very genes involved in our body stress response, this can begin to function in, in an improved way. Again, I want to say it again, we can change the way our DNA expresses. So what are these positive experiences? You know from reading my book, practices of receiving comfort or support, even, with, even when there was none practices of feelings of compassion for ourselves, maybe even for what our parents went through, for what our ancestors went through, generosity, doing something kind for ourselves, kind for other people, having a loving kindness practice, practicing mindfulness, anything really that allows us to have strength or peace or joy 
and doing that with curiosity and wonder and awe, because these types of experiences feed the prefrontal cortex and help us reframe that stress response in the limbic system so is it a chance to downregulate. The idea is to pull traction away from the limbic system and to bring the specifically this overactive thumping amygdala and bring engagement to the forebrain, specifically the prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate these new experiences and our and our brains can change. We, we know from mindfulness studies that practicing mindfulness actually shrinks the amygdala and thickens the prefrontal cortex. Wow. Well, you know, that that actually does make me feel better. And, and <laughs> you know, this this can be kind of heavy, right? You know, these kinds of topics can be kind of heavy, but but knowing and reading your book and hearing about the successes that have been seen with some of your techniques and and some of the stuff you just you just relayed to us is uh, it makes me feel a whole lot better. Mark, where where can they find out more about you and what you do and all of your work? It's easy to find me at markwoolin.com, W-O-L-Y-N-N.com. I have a training that I teach to teach uh, clinicians how to use this in their practices, physicians, psychotherapists, coaches, or people who just want to go on a deep dive. And we do that in this training. Also, if you go to my Facebook page, I list all the science, everything that's significant that's come out in this field is right there on my Facebook page. And that's how to do it. Wonderful. Well, again, we've got Mark Willen, director of the Family Constellation Institute and author of It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Mark, again, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I know this is going to be valuable uh, for the listeners out there. Oh, thank you for having me, Jibran. I enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts about this episode. I'm easy to reach on Twitter at Jabron Pasha, on Instagram at What Medicine Did, and on UnlockingImplicitBias.com. Thanks for leaning in with me.